welcome to The Hive Podcast, a show that helps inspire you to pursue your passions and ambitions. My name is Jared Spink and I'm your host. I'm a photographer, videographer, and entrepreneur. Join me as I sit down with other entrepreneurs and creators to learn more about their process, how they've built communities around their brands, and the experiences they've had along the way. I hope that these conversations inspire you to pursue your goals. You're listening to The Hive Podcast. Welcome back to The Hive Podcast. Thanks for listening each and every week. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast player. And if you're listening in the Apple Podcast app, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a written review. I really appreciate it. It helps get the podcast out there. This week's guest is Skylar Burt, and man, are you guys in for a treat. Skylar is an award-winning food and beverage photographer. He has over 200,000 followers on YouTube, has an amazing Instagram account. He's put together courses to help photographers, guides to help photographers. He's traveled the world for over 15 years and worked with magazines such as Sunset Magazine, Southern Living, Forbes Traveler, Lonely Lonely Planet, and resorts like Shangri-La and Ritz-Carlton. Skylar, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for the great intro. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I always try to nail those intros for the guests. You know, you gotta you gotta build hey. it up. But you don't you don't need much of a build up. Your resume speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Skyler and I were talking before the show, and I'm absolutely obsessed with Skyler's. Uh, YouTube channel, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and he gives a Thank you. lot of great tips for people that are looking to get into the food and beverage uh, niche in photography. Yeah, um, that's kind of a place where if you want to, you know, test the waters with food photography, you can kind of get your feet wet with some of those videos there. Um, and then I obviously have courses that kind of dive deeper into it. But, you know, YouTube has kind of been my outlet for just putting out content, just just to share, you know, content, you know, not try to make any money off of it. But I do it in my free time when I don't have shoots, um, so I'm not the most consistent poster. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be, you know, like trying to do like a weekly thing, and I've tried it uh, before. And um, but I, I try to get at least a video out there every month, you know, where I can put together a tutorial, something that I think is fascinating, you know, that I think people would like. So. Yeah, I think they're really beneficial. I mean, coming from a, an actual working professional to get, you know, some inside uh, tips on gear and lighting and just different tools and, and methods to really nail your food and beverage photography is, is really helpful for, for anybody listening that's interested in that. And then when you want to dive deeper, uh, Skylar's put together some amazing uh, guides and courses we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. But Skylar, uh, when did you first pick up a, a camera? Um. I mean, everyone says like when they were a kid. So yeah, I guess like I had those little disposable cameras when I was a kid and I was really fascinated by looking through the viewfinder and kind of seeing the world. Like they had those viewfinders that kind of were like bubbly and so it would distort the world and I would like walk around with that thing up to my face. And uh, you know, I thought that was really cool. Um, I wanted to, like I first started uh, when I, like I was really interested in art. So I, I started painting, you know, like landscape painting and stuff. And I thought it'd be really cool to, you know, travel around and take some, you know, like test images, like with a camera, bring it back and paint those images, you know. And then I realized, well, I brought the images to like a uh, art gallery and they 
they kind of said I was a better photographer than I was a painter and I should go to school for, for photography. Um, they said it in a nice way. But, and I, so I took that to heart and I went to college for photography. Um, I got a journalism degree in uh, visual journalism. I kind of wanted to be a newspaper photographer or, you know, work for National Geographic like everyone. And um, I, I quickly realized that you had more chance of, you actually have more chance of playing on the Lakers than you do being a National Geographic, you know, staff photographer. So so I, I kind of put that aside and, and shifted towards uh, food, food and travel, you know. You definitely see that that, that has an influence on your style because, um Rather than like your typical food and beverage photographer, your your style definitely has like a journalistic approach to it and feel to it, and I find that so it's just so amazing. It, it's it's just a unique style. Do you think because you wanted to be a journalism photographer, that's contributed to the way you approach your food and beverage photography? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think. Well. I kind of am cheating journalism. So, like, one thing that always bugged me about journalism is I couldn't, like, I couldn't uh, fake the stories. And sometimes you couldn't get the best pictures because it was real life, you know, like, would, and that's how I kind of approached travel photography and probably why I was never a very successful travel photographer is because, you know, I always tried to make real pictures, you know, and keep that integrity there, like that journalistic integrity there. Um, but at the same time, I saw the compositions and I was like, it'd be so much better if I could do this or if I could bring in this or, you know, had an elephant walking through my pictures or something like that, you know. And so um, with food photography, I kind of am allowed to do that, you know. I want to keep it still real and tell real stories, but I'm allowed to, like, change things. I'm allowed to move props. I'm allowed to change the lighting or tell a different a completely, you know, fabricated story. And so I find that fascinating. And that's kind of why I jumped into food photography or studio photography, because I could have that creative control to like create stories that I've, that I couldn't do with journalism, you know, because you're not supposed to, you know, lie with journalism, or at least you're not trying to lie with journalism. So when would, uh, looking back, so that's an interesting story, how you kind of stumbled into the food and, and beverage niche into photography. What was like your first big break into that, um, that niche, would you say? Um, well, I was traveling around. Uh, I, I lived in South Korea for a couple of years and I, I was working, I did a, a travel magazine there, like a, a foreigner travel magazine for foreigners. And, uh, I was teaching English and I had a bunch of friends and they all decided to move to the Middle East. And, um, so I, I followed them. My wife and I followed them there. And we moved to the Middle East, and I started teaching uh, photography at a university there, uh, and teaching studio photography. And the way it was taught before, the way the photography program was was run before, was kind of like go out and make pictures, go out and make landscape pictures, and go out and make portraits and stuff like that. But the students, because it was the Middle East, they couldn't really do that effectively. You know, one, it's like really hot there. And so to ask them to go out and like stand on the street for three hours would would be torture. Um, and two, culturally, they had some issues, you know, with getting models and stuff like that. And so I really, you know, spent some time thinking about it, and I was like, you know, food photography uh, 
I could teach them everything. I was kind of always interested in food photography, and I was thinking, you know, food photography, I could teach them everything that they would need to know about lighting and about composition and all that stuff, but everyone would be able to do it. You know, the, the, the girl students could do it. The, the male students could do it. They don't need to source models, and they can stay in the air, air conditioning, and they can, uh, you know, learn photography through, through that. They can learn about natural light and, you know, soft light and hard light and all that kind of stuff, and so in, in starting that, I had to learn myself, you know, uh, I had to really dive deep into what f- food photography is. I had to look at a bunch of examples and uh, a bunch of uh, source material. And I found that there was really no educational material, but there was a ton of, you know, food photographers to look at. And so I started creating my own material. I started shooting in the studio, doing test images, because I figured... I had to be, you know, really good at it if I was going to teach it, you know, teach it. So I started practicing and I spent maybe a year, year and a half, you know, solidly practicing in the studio um, before I started teaching it to my, my classroom. And uh, in doing that, I started getting clients, actually. I, I reached out to, like, s- some of the local uh, hotels and resorts and uh, we started shooting, my wife and I started shooting uh, their, like, their marketing material for their restaurants and stuff like that. And that, that kind of got my first professional work into food photography. And then it kind of snowballed from there and started picking up more clients and stuff like that. So looking back at that, since there wasn't really a lot of resources out there for your students and, and really even, even for yourself um, for food photography, uh, what, how did you manage to put together uh, your your curriculum, or not even curriculum, I'm not even saying that right, um, your, your courses for uh, your students and, and put your own spin on it. What are some of the unique approaches that you brought to the table, you think? Um, well, I, I guess the first thing would be, well, like, like you said, there wasn't a lot of educational material. There wasn't, when I started teaching it in the classroom, there wasn't any blogs uh, teaching food photography that I could find. There was, you know, food photographers, and I would use them as examples, and we'd kind of deconstruct their photos and say, okay, they, they lit it like this. And I would only know that because then I would go into studio and kind of replicate that, you know, and then I kind of mark it down and say, okay, I put the light here, and I set it up the camera like that. And uh, you read, there's, there's one great uh, textbook for food photography, or not for, for studio photography, and it's called Light Science Magic. And it's been created, I don't think it was created in like the 80s or 90s or something like that, but it's been redone over the years because it's so popular. Um, so there was that, and so a lot of that uh, helped me out in creating the coursework. Um, and then just testing in the studio, um, I came up with, I didn't come up with it, but I, I kind of dis- discovered for myself a particular lighting style for food photography that I enjoy. And then I started teaching that to other people. And that's kind of how to replicate natural light. I would say that's probably what I'm best known for is replicating natural light with studio strobes. So most of my work is done with artificial light. But um, I try really hard to make it look like it's done with natural light. Um, So there's that. I guess that would probably be the most popular thing. And one of the things I like teaching the most, you know. So So you you started on this journey by by traveling, you've traveled the world for, uh, I believe when I was looking at it, it was like 15, 12 or 15 years. You, you traveled all around the world with your, your camera, right? Yeah. Yeah. On and off. I mean, pretty much consistently for, I, I mean, I lived abroad for about eight, nine years consistently, but there was, you know, times I came back to the States, you know, and stuff like that. So, 
that's longer than most people. <laughs> so can, can you share some of your favorite experiences? I find, you know, the times that I've traveled overseas and, and even tr- just traveling around the country, your, your perspective on things change a lot on, yeah. on how you view things. How has traveling impacted your style and, and the way you look and approach photography, especially within the food industry? I mean, we already talked about it, how you bring a journalistic approach to your, to your style. Uh, how has that impacted you? Yeah, I mean, one, I, I love experiencing new cultures. I think that's my favorite part about traveling. I never really did the weekend stop, you know, where you go to a country and you're like, you're there for a couple of days and you do this whirlwind tour of like all the best sites, you know, it's like a kind of bullet list of a country. I never really did that. Um, I would stay in a country for a longer period of time. Maybe I think the shortest time would be like a month, you know, and we would spend that month in a particular spot and really get to know it, you know, know the restaurants, know the streets and know the people and, you know, what's there. And I, I'm really fascinated by that kind of travel. Um, and then if I needed to go back to a country, I would go back to the country and visit some other place in the country, you know. But um, I, I, I like the culture aspect of food. And I think, you know, food is so intertwined with our culture, you know, and there's history there. And that's kind of why I'm interested in food photography because every dish, every recipe has a, a very fun, fun history behind it. You know, somebody created it some time ago, you know. And a, a lot of it really fascinates me because we don't know where the food comes from. You know, like where does our salt come from? You know, what country does that come from? And so, you know, I was really fascinated early on by like following the trail of of you know, from from your table to its origin, you know, wherever that may be around the world. And I, I think that that still fascinates me a lot. And so I, and in my food photography, I try to add, whether it's props or, you know, some kind of element to the photo that kind of speaks to the, I don't know, the history or kind of the, the style of the person that might eat that. Um, you know, I kind of try to use my imagination uh, behind a you know a dish if I'm making the dish myself uh, if it's like a, if it's a cookbook or it's for a client then I'm often trying to incorporate some of their like brand presence or their brand identity into the photo but if it's just for myself then I'm trying to incorporate kind of like that travel or that history or that culture into the the photo to make it I, I guess appealing to or representative of of where that dish comes from I'm really fascinated by by that. And so I, I would say that's how travel, you know, opened my eyes to different foods, you know, and, and kind of how their take on different dishes. Because, like, uh, there's a lot of recipes that are the same, you know, from country to country, but each country takes, you know, that their own, like, spin on it. And they did that so long ago that they think it's their own dish, you know. And I think that's really fascinating to me, you know, so. So when you're trying to tell a story with, with food photography for our listeners that might be interested in that, what, what's maybe like the first initial steps someone needs to take or that you take when you're trying to tell a story with food? Yeah, I think you got to be fascinated by it. You have to kind of, you know, look at the dish and go, uh, what's, what is the story behind this recipe? Is it, and what story am I telling? Am I telling my story uh, or am I telling somebody else's story? Or am I, is that a whole historical story, you know? Like, and that all affects your, the propping that you would do or the styling or even the, the composition or the lighting, you know? Um, that, that can affect that if you take it that far, you know? Um, 
a lot of people, I think, try to just light like uh, a food photograph, and they don't consider where that light is coming from in the in the imagination of the story. You know, they don't go, "Oh, is this a window light or is this a fluorescent light?" And, you know, you watch a movie, and when when you look at the lighting in a movie, the lighting's always coming from somewhere, and that. It's coming from off camera, but the the person lighting the photograph is thinking like, oh, this is a above light, you know, above light from the the ceiling, you know, fluorescent bulb. It's flickering or something like that, and so that all like adds to the story, even though you can't see the light. And I try to take that same approach with food photography and 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 think, you know, where is the lighting coming from, or where do these, how do these props relate to the the dish, uh, you know, and that kind of helps the story along, I guess, it builds a story. But I'm not sure if I, it sounds kind of convoluted, and I'm not sure if it actually, you know, is achievable, but, or if I achieve it at least, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm going for that, and that's kind of my philosophy and my take on, on food photography is, is that there, everything should relate to the subject that you put in there, you know, uh, there shouldn't be anything random. Yeah, and I, I mean, just watching your YouTube videos, I mean, that's very clear when you approach your tutorials that whatever you're doing isn't detracting from the main subject, yeah. but it's subtle enough to add to it and help that, that main subject stand out rather than be like, Oh, there's obviously like a light or, you know, this prop doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's, it definitely adds to the story. I think if you want to break it down to like the basics of photography, uh, do you know who David Deshemin is? No. He, he's a travel photographer, but he's also an educator. Um, he wrote a book, uh, I'm going to forget the book's name, of course, but um, anyways, in the book, he wrote down uh, six like really important things for photographers to think about when they make a photo, and that, that's how to, it's how the eye looks at a photograph, and then I, you know, when you look at a photograph, you're first looking at uh, the brightest spot in the photo, you're looking at the most colorful spot in the photo. You're looking at what's in focus. And there's like a, a list of, of things, you know, large versus small. And it's all these things that subconsciously, when we look at a photograph, this is, you know, what's attracting us and what's pulling us to what's important in that, in that photo. And so that really relates to food photography because your subject needs to be, of course, the thing that people look at in the photo. And then, you know, the propping allows them to kind of drift around the image. And so... You can, you can use that, um, that kind of system of like, well, my subject needs to be the brightest. Of course, it needs to be in focus. But also, there shouldn't be colors or anything that distract from my subject uh, too much. And that there shouldn't be things that are bigger than my subject that minimizes my subject's importance in the photograph. So, you know, if you kind of think about that when you're photographing, you can really nail a good picture, you know, if you get all the other stuff right. But... I mean, at least you can get the basics of uh, a composition and stuff uh, down. God, I, I'm going to remember that book. Yeah, um, I'll, yeah. I'll have to look that up. I'll think about it. You know, I'll get it at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, if you think about it, yeah. let me know. Email it to me, uh, the, the title. I'd love to take a look at that. But it takes me kind of to my the next subject I want to talk to you about is is your YouTube channel, which has been, um, is in my opinion, very, very ex- successful at over 220,000 uh, subscribers. But where did that all start? I mean, you have a teaching background. Uh, so when did you decide that, hey, I want to I want to take this knowledge that I've acquired and start, you know, putting it out there for people to to learn? 
Um, well, I, I started with the idea of doing uh, e-learning for my students, like getting my students online, because I, I thought, excuse me, I thought the best way to teach them would be to be able to provide reusable content that they could use over and over again and take home and like maybe they missed the lecture in a classroom you know so the lecture could be online and and I, I this was like 2009 or something like that so I started making some videos and um, I first thought that YouTube was just for cat videos <laughs> and, and, um, and then you know some people started doing tutorials uh, some people that I followed uh, started doing tutorials on YouTube, and I thought, you know what, I, these videos might be good enough uh, for that. So I decided, why don't I try to make a YouTube video? And I did. Uh, don't go watch it because it's horrible. But it's it was it, like the start of it, and people, I don't know, for for some reason, it, it got a lot of views, and people like started posting about it on articles and stuff like that, even though it was just a horrible like horrible production. Um, it was very cheesy, but anyways, um, people started looking at it, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I can make some more videos. And so I made a couple more videos, um, and then I just kind of forgot about it for like a year or two. And I said, you know what? For some reason, people started following my my uh, channel, um, and I said, why not you know make some more videos and stuff like that? So I did, and um, I came back to the states, and now I live here in the states. And I I, I said, you know what? I'll I'll make YouTube's on uh, you know YouTube videos on a regular basis, and I tried. I'm still trying to make it on a regular basis. I think it's about two years now that I've been trying to do that. But yeah. so I always am curious because sometimes your most popular videos aren't necessarily your favorite videos. Yeah. Definitely. So the the most popular video on your channel has over a million views, and that's six food uh, photography tricks in two minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then followed by two of my favorite, which is how to create flying food photos, and then um, my absolute favorite, which is your uh, professional product photography with one light. I absolutely oh, cool. loved that video with with the Four Roses yeah. uh, bottle. But w what was your favorite video to make? I think that's probably my favorite video, that Four Roses video. It's not my favorite as in production quality, um, but it's... I mean, I've always had like I'm not a I'm not a like good on camera speaker, uh, but like I, I like to teach in classroom. I like to teach live. I I really work well with like you know talking to people and bouncing off of the emotion in the classroom and stuff like that. And I get on a roll and I I enjoy it. You know, I get hyped up. But for some reason, just staring into the camera lens just doesn't work for me. But um, anyways, that video. That is kind of the ethos of kind of my philosophy towards food photography and beverage photography. It's, it's really, you can do it no matter what you have. And that's kind of like the thought process behind that video. It's like, if you have one light, don't, don't sit there and go, I can't. I, I spent so many years myself saying, oh, I can't do this, or I can't do that because I don't have this right gear, you know? And, and when I get that gear, I'll, I'll start doing it. And that never happens, you know? So the ethos behind that, that video, it's not really like a challenge to make this amazing video, uh, you know, photograph in, with one light, because that's what the purpose is, you know, that's what the title says. It's more of a challenge to make a video with the gear that you have. If you only have one light, then you can, you can do an epic product shot 
with, with just that one light, you just have to get creative about solving a problem, you know, finding a solution that solves the problem that you don't have four lights or, or five lights, you know, you don't have this grandioso light setup that, you know, and a Hasselblad camera and all this, you know, other gear that people tout as a, you know, professional photographer or whatever. You can do the same with, you know, some Photoshop skills and a single light, you know, so that's really probably my favorite video because there's also another uh, video that kind of goes along with that, and that's, um, it's about not enough, having not enough props. That's another big problem for food photographers. Oh, I don't have enough props, or I only made one soup, you know, <laughs> but I need like three in my photo uh, to balance out the composition. Well, it's like the same solution. You can take that one soup, and then you just change it a little bit, move it in the photograph, change it a little bit, move it somewhere else, and then Photoshop those three photos together, and now you have three soups. And, you know, it's the same kind of ethos of, like, do what you can with what you have, you know, and improve your skills in other ways before you start buying, I don't know, really expensive lighting gear and stuff like that. So, yeah, those are my favorite. So do you think that's what holds most photographers back is... The, la the thinking that they need a specific piece of gear or that they're lacking gear to get started? Yeah, yeah, I do. It, well, either it's gear or it's like knowledge, you know. And I think, you know, as creatives, we all have this like uh, great ideas and grand ideas. I think there's two things that hold people back in photography. One is trying, trying for a grand idea that they might not be able to accomplish yet or that might take too long of time for the time window that they have, you know? I mean, this was always like a problem for me. Uh, I would, like, same, like, I want to create a YouTube video, for example, and I want to, you know, show people how to do this and this and this and this. But then that idea is just too large for the amount of time that I have, and I have to whittle that idea down, you know, to something that's doable. I think that's the same with photography. You know, you have, like, these grand ideas. Maybe it's a trip or something like that. You wanna be a travel photographer, but you don't wanna start until you can go to Mount Everest or something like that. But you know, there's so many steps it takes to get to Mount Everest, so why not start where you know, you're in your backyard and start honing your craft before you get to Mount Everest, you know? So I think there's that, and then there's also the gear side. A lot of people don't wanna you know, start doing things until they have every little small piece in place and that's like never going, that's never going to happen. You know, that's, life's not like that. You're never going to have all of the pieces in place and everything perfect. You have to start somewhere. And I think it's better just to start with what you have, especially with studio photography. Yeah, there's the basics. You need a camera, of course. You need a lens and you probably need a computer to edit on. So there's those things that you need. And once you got those things in place, you know, start working. Maybe start with natural light and really master that and then move on, you know, buy yourself a single artificial light. Maybe it's a constant light. They're really cheap now. They're like, I mean, relatively cheap. I know, you know, everyone's budget's different, but if you're considering a studio strobe at like 600 to $900 a piece versus, uh, you know, a constant light that's 150 bucks, the constant light's relatively cheap, I guess. So, you know, start with a constant light you know, and then, or maybe a flash, and then really master that. And if you want to move into studio strobes, then move into studio strobes. I, I also really highly believe in only buying gear that is useful for what you want to do, and not just because it's what everyone else has, you know. Yeah, if you, 
if you want to shoot with studio strobes, that's great, but I would only suggest studio strobes to people who have a purpose to shoot with studio strobes. And, you know, most people, I think, I, I just made a video about this, actually. I think most people would do just fine with a constant light, you know. Most food photographers, if as long as you're not doing anything that's like splash photography or things like that, or maybe your studio is really bright all the time and you need to, you know, uh, kill those lights with a constant, or with a studio strobe, you know, you need to overpower those lights with a studio strobe, then a constant light would work perfect, you know. So, and they're much cheaper. And you can modify them the same as a studio strobe. Yeah, that's, that's really great advice. I, I, I agree with you that a lot of that stuff holds um, photographers back from pursuing what, what they want to do. And what all you need... I mean, you need the camera basics, like you mentioned, but knowledge, you know, you, you just need this, the skill set. So practice that before worrying about the gear and you, and you definitely, uh, believe and preach that because you've put together uh, a ton of guides and courses and masterclasses for people to, to better their skills, um, in photography and, and food and beverage photography. So I'm, I'm curious what goes in, you know, we, if you're into photography, you see these courses and these guides available, but what really goes in, what kind of work goes into making those guides and those courses for, so that they're beneficial for the, the person that that's willing to invest in them? Like every waking hour for um, three months. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they're really hard to put together. I, I, I would say if you're considering putting together a course, and this is like a big topic right now, because a lot of people are, you know, are, are considering jumping into the the business of putting together educational content, which is great, I think, you know. If you have some knowledge, you know, why not share it? Um, and putting a course together is, is a really great way to do that. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of work that it takes, I, I would say if you're gonna, I mean, is that what you're asking, or, you know, how to put together a course? Yeah, or just like, what's your process? To, to putting your courses yeah. together? You know, what kind of work have you put into them? Oh, well, well, I mean, my personal process was to kind of replicate my entire courses that I taught, you know, at the university. But um, I think my ethos with the course, especially with the master class, is if you've never picked up a camera before, you can grab this course and you can have all of the tools and knowledge that you need to progress further. You know, it's not like a do-all or end-all to, you know, food photography. Uh, it's not even trying to be all-encompassing with every, you know, little minute detail about the subject. It's more of here is what you need to build upon. And that's kind of how I feel most courses should be. It should give you the tools that you, that you need to go further. You know, and that further step has to be taken by you, you know, the, the student of the course or whatever. And so, like with the lighting, I have, it's, you know, my masterclass also has a short course put upon it, and that's more about artificial lighting. And that's kind of all of the basic lighting setups that I use and, and then build upon. Those are like the foundational setups. And then I'll build upon those setups depending on the subject and the needs of the shoot and stuff like that. But those are more of like the foundational. 
setups. And you can see those same setups in portrait photography and in product photography as well. And they're kind of just foundational setups that I think are really important for anyone who's getting into it really needs to know. I think it will fast track them like light years ahead of where they would be without, uh, you know, without, with, with learning on their own or just trial and error, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great course. I mean, lighting, it, lighting, I was funny. I had, um, I had a, a guest on who is just obsessed with lighting and a lot of, it's just not as flashy as, you know, the camera gear and, and some of the t- other tutorials. No one really cares about lighting, but it's the most <laughs> important thing. It's the fundamental yeah. aspect of photography is lighting. So if you're listening and you're trying to get into photography, invest some time into learning about lighting. It will change your your photos and your skill set tremendously if you focus on that. But Skylar, I'm curious, as you were putting these together and you've taught so many students, is what are some of the biggest mistakes new photographers make um, that you see? I, I think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with David DeShemin about those like six things that a viewer looks at first when they first look at a photograph. And it's, it's not doing one of those things. It's like, I think one of the biggest mistakes, you know, one of the simplest would be they, they have a plate on a table and they have their, their pasta dish in that plate or something like that, you know, or the cupcakes or whatever. And then they'll put a giant bottle of something directly behind that plate. And that violates that, you know, big versus small rule. Like the viewer's always going to look at whatever's biggest in the photograph. You know, subconsciously, their eyes are just going to be attracted to what's biggest, you know. And, and so they just made that mistake of, of minimizing their subject and putting something really huge in the background that, that kind of draws all the attention away from that subject. I think accidentally drawing attention away from your subject is probably the biggest mistake everyone makes, whether it's landscape or food or portraiture, especially food though, because it's so subject centric, you know? It's really important that the subject is uh, the only thing that the, the you know, viewer looks at. Um, everything else in the photograph is really just a trick to get people to look at the subject longer. That's really what, if you break it down to, you know, framing or, or composition, all those things are just tricked to move the viewer's eye towards that subject and keep them looking at that subject as long as possible and not look away, you know, and not turn the page back in the old days when it was just a magazine. So, you know, things like lighting, uh, things like propping and styling and composition, all of those things, I think they're easy to make mistakes in uh, and draw attention away from the subject. And that's probably the biggest, you know, mistake beginners make is, is to do that consistently and not know why people aren't looking at their, their photograph, you know. They'll, they'll do all this delicious propping and this, you know, delicious recipe and, and then, you know, the, the simple things like either drawing the attention away from the subject or the white balance is wrong or uh, the light is too harsh or the shadows are too strong, there's too much contrast or something like that. So, you know, little things that I think, minute things that are easily fixed are probably the biggest errors that I see. Yeah, and I think, in my opinion, it all stems back to the fact that I think people don't analyze what they're capturing long enough. I I think it's a a lack of patience to really stand back and take a look at the composition, the light, like just analyze the photo before you snap that shutter. And I think, I mean, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, is 
Yeah. I think people are, are so rushed to get content out there, um, onto the gram, you know, and, and, and to try to get eyes on their photos that they don't spend enough time analyzing to make sure they're actually taking a good photo. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's twofold. Like one is that they're in a rush to get those likes. They're, in a, you know, I've got to get this photo out. We got to post it. I got to get those likes. It's kind of a, a serotonin dump, you know. Um, but the other, th I think the other flip side to that is that people aren't visually literate enough as, as much as they should be, you know, to, and I, what I mean by that is that they, they've looked at a lot of photographs, you know, like I think the great, uh, you know, Henry Carter Brassant said, your first 10,000 photographs are your worst or something like that. But it also kind of goes to like, you need to look at 10,000 photographs and good quality photographs before you have this like library in your head of compositions that, that you can pull upon when you go to make your own photographs, you know? So you really need to be visually literate in the subject content that you're trying to, to master. And I, I think there's a double-edged sword with Instagram and we're, we're talking about Instagram is like, if that's all your, if that's the only book that you open to view photographs from, then that's what you're going to be creating. And it's very hard to get out of that, that box because Instagram is a niche. There's photographs that do successful. And if you look at that success and be like, oh, I just want to mimic that, then you are kind of cutting yourself short. You're limiting yourself and you're limiting your creativity. I think it's really like crack open a magazine, go buy, a, if you want to be a food photographer, go buy a bunch of cookbooks and like just cycle through the pictures, analyze them and deconstruct them or, Pick up your favorite, you know, magazine on the shelf and just see what makes those photographs tick or watch movies or, uh, you know, um, do, I mean, just make yourself visually literate outside of the, the media that you want to post on, like, you know, outside of YouTube or outside of Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, and I think it, that advice can apply to anything, not just food photography. You want to be a landscape photographer, go buy Outdoor Magazine, National Geographic, yeah. and look at what makes good photos in those magazines. They're not always just crushing the blacks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is so popular on Instagram. But you look at these photos that actually make it in a magazine. It, it, yeah, they don't they do not do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's I, it's just like where you get your um, where you get your source material from, where you get your inspiration from. And I think. I've always tried to get my inspiration outside of the social media world. I never really have been involved much in the social media world, even though I'm on it and stuff like that. But um, I, I try to, like, my inspiration comes from music. It comes from TV a lot, um, movies. You know, I, I look at the camera angles and I look at how that camera moves, you know, in movies and stuff. And I go, oh, I want to put that in my next YouTube video or my next, uh, you know, photograph or something like that. Or I like the way the light's coming in and how they did that. I think that would look really cool in a photograph or in a video that I'm doing for a client or something like that, you know? So, um, yeah, I guess it's where you get your, your, um, your inspiration from. I, 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 I don't really read much, but I look at the pictures, <laughs> you know, and like cookbooks and stuff, you know, yeah. I'll buy cookbooks. I'm not a, a, a chef or anything. I don't try to be a chef. I'm not very, I'm not very good at cooking. I, I can cook, but I have a lot of cookbooks and I like to look at the pictures in the cookbooks. I have a lot of food magazines and I like to look at the pictures, maybe not the recipes so much, but you know, 
So yeah, I think that's great advice. I mean, to really become visually literate and and study the craft that you want to do. I mean, when you when you think about sports, you know, baseball or football, they spend so much time analyzing game tape to become professionals. Yeah. Do the same thing as a photographer. Analyze photos that are good, that are in magazines, and study that photo. Why is this photo good? Where's the light coming from? What's the composition? You know, it, I think that's really, really great advice. And and then, and then constantly get critique on your work um, from people that you respect, you know, their opinion from. And, and then from people that maybe know nothing about photography. And just to, to see what they have to say, because most likely they'll say something that you've never thought about before. But, you know, I, I think critique is a really important process in growing. And it has to be harsh critique. It has to be no holds bar critique and really, um, you know, try to analyze a photograph and break it down to where it helps you grow, you know? Um, so, you know, don't try to, don't try to get critique from somebody who's only going to pat you on the back for doing a good job, you know, uh, and, you know, really try to learn from that critique and really, when you take a photograph, send it out to people and, and see what you could do better. You know, uh, I like to, I, like, I have a couple of friends that I've worked with along over the years and I send my, my photos out to them usually probably to their annoyance because I do it too much, but <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciate their feedback and, and I like that, um, that I can build a relationship with somebody and get that feedback that I need. But then I also send it to like my mom and, uh, you know, get her feedback. And she says like random stuff that I never thought about. Like, why isn't the glass, why is the glass full with the bottles not open? You know, and I'm like, darn it. I never thought about that, you know? So, you know, things like that, um, are valuable, I think, to growing as a food photographer. Yeah, I, I, that's such great advice, Skylar. I mean, you guys, you're hearing it from a professional award-winning food and beverage photographer. And I think that aspect of not only getting feedback from, from working professionals, but also the person that's going to consume that content, like you sent to your mom, who has no experience probably in your craft, but she noticed something that just visually like didn't didn't click and didn't make make sense. And so that's important too, to get, to get feedback from people that are actually going to consume it and listen to that feedback. I think that's great advice. Yeah. I, I think most, most of the time they'll just be like, Oh, it's great. You know, that's fantastic. That's a, that's an amazing picture, honey. Um, but then, you know, once they realize that you're asking their opinion, they, they might come up with random, you know, curveball uh, critiques that, that maybe you, you're just more focused on the light and the composition to even think about, you know, so, so yeah. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, but yeah, you know, get your, get your actually your professional photographers or your friends who are photographers to, to sit and spend some time and, and do it for them too because giving critique helps you think about your own photography because you have to analyze somebody else's photograph, so. So I want to talk about some of the, the behind-the-scenes of food photography just for a, a quick minute. And I'm curious, and I, I'm sure our listeners would be curious too, is what are some of the most, uh, I don't want to say misconceptions of, of food and beverage photography, but what are some of the behind the scenes that would maybe surprise people to know about how you capture uh, professional looking food and beverage images? Well, I think the, I think most people think everything is fake. Uh, and that's true to some extent, especially in commercial food photography. A lot of things are faked. Um, 
I, I think I think some of the most interesting things is that you have to treat food uh, different than you would prepare it for yourself. It has to be prepared specifically for the camera in a lot of circumstances. I mean, some foods are just fine on their own and you can photograph them just like you would eat them, but other foods need a little bit of help, like uh, chicken, uh, for example, has to be undercooked, so it retains that plumpness, you know, that uh, it has when it's raw. So I, I've gotten, actually, I've gotten food poisoning a couple of times because of, of the fact that you have to photograph chicken undercooked and, you know, you're touching it and then you're, you're rubbing your mouth and stuff and, you know, then you're sick the night after and you're like, why am I sick? Oh, yeah, the chicken. Um, so there's that. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of, like, food styling hacks that maybe don't necessarily have to do with photography, but they're more created to help the photography process out and make it more efficient. Um, so there's those hacks like, for example, olive oil. If you see olive oil in a food photograph, most likely it's just food coloring, like green and yellow food coloring mixed with water. Because olive oil is one, really expensive, and two, it dirties up whatever glass you put it in and you know it's really hard to clean. So there's that. Um, things die really quickly on, on camera. So, uh, or on set. So if you cook it properly, maybe have a window of five, 10 minutes to photograph it before it looks terrible. So there's some tricks to bring it back to life, like uh, brushing olive oil or water on certain things might bring it back to life and make it look fresh again, uh, like a pizza crust or something like that. You know, It dries out really quickly. So if you give it a little brush every couple of minutes, it stays kind of fresh looking like it's straight out of the oven. Um, we were just in the studio uh, last night doing a, a pizza test shoot, and we were melting uh, cheese with a, a heat gun to do cheese pulls. And we were like perfectly placing uh, shredded cheese on the slice of pizza and then melting those to it with the heat gun and then uh, you know lifting it up so it looks like the cheese is stretching and pulling. And so there's things like that that are obviously a, a, a fake, you know, but it looks good on camera. Um, so there's little things like that. Uh, whiskey shots, you can use like browning sauce that you would use in a marinade and mix it with a little water and it looks like whiskey. So you don't have to waste whiskey. You know, fake ice cubes, um, things, things of that nature that are more about props and styling than they are about the photography. Um, I guess photography wise, there's not a lot that's faked. You kind of have to yeah, you have to be real with your lighting, you know, and the lighting has to come from a real place. Uh, the, the camera angles are pretty natural. It's either 45 or from the 90 from above. So it's really not, once you've kind of mastered the camera, you realize the photography aspect more has to do with composition and styling than it does with photography. It's one of those subjects where if you can take all the technical out of it, and kind of get that out of the way, you can just left with the creativity and that's building your scene and, and really making a pretty photograph. So are you, uh, when you're working on your food uh, photography or you're working on a project, are you, are you styling the shot or are you working with a, a food and beverage professional that's, that's yeah. their skill set? I, I guess that's another thing that most people don't know is that there's usually a team. Um, so on a professional shoot, you'll have a food stylist 
uh, and they'll just style the food. They're usually a trained chef. Uh, they went to culinary school and all that jazz. They worked in you know restaurants and stuff. And so they really know how to cook the food, but they also know how to make it look good on camera. So they have a little bit of photography experience or at least some experience with lighting and photography. Um, but then there's also a prop stylist who specializes in picking the, the right props and getting the colors correct and stuff like that. Um, and, and also getting the right style of props for the dish that you're photographing and making sure everything kind of runs smoothly. And then you have your creative director and your art director and you as the photographer and assistant and maybe even a digital tech if it's a commercial shoot, some, a guy who brings in the camera or the computer and all the you know, things that make the technical side of it run smoothly so the client can see the pictures in real time. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different working pieces and as a photographer on set, you're more of a director of all of those people and you know you set up the, the lighting and the composition and the creativeness, but a lot of that's done in pre-production. And then on set, you're really just following through with that plan that you created in pre-production, and you're making sure that everything's running smoothly and that all the little minute details are taken care of. You know, uh, as far as the styling and the lighting and the technical aspects of it. Um, and then, then you do the post-production. So there's, you know, there's that. And maybe some people have uh, a post-production specialist, you know, who works on the Photoshop and compositing images together. Um, so there's a, there's a team. So most people don't know that that's how a commercial shoot is run. Now, if you're just photographing a cookbook or uh, a, a shoot for yourself, you know, maybe that's toned down. Maybe you'll just work with a food stylist and your assistant. You know, um, so there's different levels of, different uh, size of teams for the production uh, that you're going for. If you're just shooting in your, in your house, I do that all the time, or in my studio, I'm just, I'm playing all those parts. I'm the food stylist, I'm the, the cook, I'm the photographer, I'm the digital tech, you know, tethering to my computer, and I'm the post-production guy. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, I, I would say in my portfolio, most of the time I'm working with uh, at least a food stylist and my assistant. Um, and there's usually an art director who's dictating the, the creative direction of the, of the shoot. But there's some images in my portfolio where I was just doing it in my studio, so. Yeah, that's, I think a lot of people don't realize how much work and how big of a team goes behind some of these images. That's really fascinating. Um, so I've, I put it out there that we were gonna be talking and um, I got a really interesting question. And that's how, sure. and, and this is just a, a really basic, simple uh, question. I think, I think you'll be able to answer it, but you know, not all food is pretty looking. So how do, how do you make something that's bland or doesn't have a lot of color look appealing? Uh, um, it's, it has a lot to do with propping. So uh, oftentimes if you have like a really busy subject, it's, it looks good on a simple background, you know, so, and if it's a very bland subject or a very kind of monotone subject, then it looks good on a more complex, uh, you know, messy background. Uh, so there's things like that. Um, curries, for example, are delicious, but oftentimes don't look the best, you know, they're browns and you can't really see the individual items. So putting that in a bowl instead of a plate might make it look better. Or like chili, for example, like chili on a plate probably wouldn't look very good. 
but it looks much better in a bowl or it looks even better in a cast iron pot or something like that, you know? So there's little tricks to styling or prompting that may look, make the food look a little bit more natural in its environment or better. Also, maybe don't put it in a bowl. Maybe keep the, the curry or maybe keep the chili in the thing that you cook it in, you know, might make it look better. But maybe pulling out some of those individual ingredients and kind of styling them so you can see them on camera. Like a soup, for example, maybe put some of the you know, ingredients in a minestrone soup you know, on top and try to figure out a way to get them to, to rest on top so you can see that those ingredients on camera would make it look more appealing and more appetizing. But yeah, that's probably one of the most difficult things. Sometimes you have to change the recipe. Sometimes it's the recipe that just doesn't work on camera. Once I was photographing uh, this sea bass, but uh, it was placed on a, like a bed of purple mashed potato and a bunch of colorful carrots. It looked like, it looked like a, a, a piece of fish on Play-Doh with some, you know, I don't know, fluorescent carrots next to it and stuff. It looked just awful. So we put it on, um, we took the, the purple mash and we just put it on regular mash and it looked so much better. Um, so I, it might just be changing the recipe a little bit that will make it look better on camera, you know. That's interesting. Skylar, I really appreciate you coming on the show. You've dropped a ton of knowledge um, on our listeners to be able to pursue food photography and better their skills. And you've put together a lot of tools on on your website and on your YouTube channel. What's next for you? Uh, what's next for me? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to be continuing to work on commercial shoots. Um, right now, I've moved my studio for YouTube and for my test shoots to Utah, but I'm still working uh, commercially in, in Los Angeles. So that's kind of a new thing for me, and where that takes me, I don't know. I think I'll be able to produce more YouTube videos in this kind of dedicated space. Uh, so that'll be kind of interesting. Um, we'll see how that actually ha pans out, if it actually helps. But um, I, I want to do uh, definitely more com commercial shoots, more cookbooks uh, over the next coming year. Hopefully the COVID thing dies down and we're able to get back to work. A lot of advertisements shut down in 2020. So um, yeah, hopefully that picks back up in the next year. And I'd like to start, I was thinking about starting a podcast and maybe doing, I was actually thinking, and you know, maybe I can get some feedback on this, but I was actually thinking of, of starting a Twitch channel where we would do like live critiques and I would do live demonstrations and be able to like, uh, you know, answer questions live and stuff and maybe do a podcast type thing on Twitch. But I don't know, we'll see. We'll see if I can get that thing rolling. And I think that'd be kind of fun. I'd, I'd like to use like technology to, to really push the education, you know, of, of photography forward, so. Yeah, yeah I'd, I think doing some live streams would be that's a great idea. I think that would be fantastic. And a lot of people will be interested, whether it's on Twitch or live streaming on YouTube or wh whatever platform you decide to use. I think, I think a lot of yeah. people would be interested in seeing maybe a live behind the scenes, uh, shoot, you know, a little less produced yeah. than, you know, a finished YouTube video. Like a multi, multi-camera maybe. Yeah. Like maybe multi-camera around this, you know, the studio. And then I'd be able to answer questions live, you know, as I'm styling or putting together a photograph and I, I think that would I because that kind of brings it back to when I was teaching in the classroom you know I'd have the students huddling around the table and they'd be asking questions as we're doing stuff you know and it those I think I think it's those are the best questions that you usually get you know is in the moment type stuff so 
Yeah, no, I think that would be great. Um, So like I said to all you guys that are listening in on this conversation, Skylar, Skylar's amazing. He does amazing work. He's put a lot of guides and, and courses together for you. And then of course he has tons of free content out on his YouTube channel just to get you started. Uh, Skylar, where can people find out more about you? Uh, WeTogether.com is the blog that I have, and that's where you can get uh, you know kind of a lot of articles. It kind of follows my YouTube channel, but it also has random articles that I've written uh, that I thought were cool. You know, so go check that out. Um, and it also has all my courses on there too, as well. Um, but YouTube, uh, YouTube.com/slash/WeTogether, uh, Instagram, We dot eat dot together underscore because somebody stole my name and uh and uh yeah i don't really do twitter so those are usually the places i don't really do facebook much either but there's also a facebook group that i started and it has a a couple thousand uh people in it and uh people post photos there and they give critique and stuff and sometimes i pop in and i'll i'll give critique there uh so yeah definitely join that if you want um but yeah, I think YouTube and wetogether.com is probably the best place to find me. So I'll link that all down in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. And I highly recommend you do if you're interested in food and beverage photography. Hope you guys found this, this episode with Skylar uh, beneficial. And if you did, please share it with a friend. And as always, I appreciate you listening and I'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah.